In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Time is a strange thing, isn't it? Do you remember when you were children? Maybe? A little bit? Okay. I love blank looks in the morning. Do you remember what it was like right before Christmas break, five minutes before the bell would ring? How long did that five minutes feel like? Okay. I was doing that for Peter's benefit there in the back. Because the rest of us know what it's like to be at work five minutes before we're going to be off for Christmas week, right? 4.55 to 5 o'clock is by far the longest five minutes of the year, right? Same thing when we get down to the DMV. How long does it seem to take at the DMV? Hours, days, right? Even if you're there for 30 minutes, it feels like three hours. Doctor's office's waiting room, right? Same thing. Now, as I've gotten a bit older, I've found that the real torture becomes when you're waiting on results from the doctor. They'll tell you it'll be two or three days, but depending on the results you're waiting for, it can feel like months or years, right? But I've got good news. There's also times where it feels like life just flies by, doesn't it? I can't tell you what happened in the last three months because I'm thinking it ought to be the end of September, not the middle of December. I have this feeling that I got off a plane from Tanzania, went to London, and then we're here, right? Time seems shorter as you get older. Hold on to that thought for just a minute. Comfort, oh, comfort my people, says your God. If we go back one chapter in Isaiah, right before chapter 40 here, one of the princes of Babylon comes out and visits King Hezekiah. And Hezekiah gives the prince the grand tour. And when he's done, when the prince leaves, Isaiah comes to the king and, and says, Hezekiah, what happened? I, I heard there was a dignitary in town. And Hezekiah was like, there was a prince here from a very foreign country, and I treated him with the best hospitality I could. I showed him everything. I showed him the treasury. I showed him all around the palace. I took him throughout the land and showed him everything we had. And Isaiah says, listen, in the future, everything you showed him is going to be carried away to Babylon. But because of your faithfulness, king, it's going to be some time after your reign. Chapter 40 begins a profound shift in the focus of Isaiah. Some scholars are saying it's the beginning of 2nd Isaiah. It's written to those who will be carried away. It's written to those who are having to deal with the reality of the judgment that came. And it begins with words of comfort. Comfort because God's people have been carried away. Jerusalem has paid the price. And because of that, we should speak so tenderly to it. Then we get a promise. A voice cries out, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Isaiah says there's a voice coming that will level everything. Mountains will be leveled. So they're level with the, with the fields. Valleys will be filled in. And through there a road will be built. But he's not preparing for the return of God's people. The voice is coming to hearken the coming of the Messiah. That the Messiah will no longer be hidden. Why do we need the Messiah? The voice cries out again and tells the prophet to cry out. And Isaiah says, what do you want me to say? What do you want me to cry out? What does the voice say? That everyone is like grass. will wither. We're like flowers in the field. Beautiful for a season and fade away. And knowing that, we can live in peace. 
Why? Because the word of our God stands forever. We do not have to be in conflict with our mortality because we have hope. The hope we talked about last week. The hope that when Christ returns, his return will bring with him the living and the dead. And that we'll be all together with Christ. So the prophet says, Go up to a high mountain, O Zion, herald of good tidings. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good tidings. Lift up. Do not fear. Say to the cities of Judah, here is your God. The day of the Messiah is coming. And he says we can proclaim that good news that he's come. But he's writing to those who are anticipating and those who are living through a great time of sorrow. And saying you can live in peace because God has promised that the Messiah is coming and the word of our God stands forever. Isaiah goes on to say, He'll feed his flock like a shepherd. He'll gather the lambs in his arms and carry them in his bosom and gently lead like a mother's sheep. When the Messiah comes, he's not coming just to set us free. He's not coming just to be our king. He's coming to be the ideal king, the one who's a shepherd to his people, not the one who locks himself up in his palace and doesn't see the commoner. No, he's going to live among them, feeding them, not living in a remove but being with them in all seasons. The sons of Korah write, You've been gracious to your land, O Lord. You've restored the good fortunes of Jacob. The sons of Korah thanking God for his graciousness, that he has restored and forgiven his people, just like he promised he would. I'll listen to what God is saying, for he is speaking peace to his faithful people and to those who turn their hearts to him. Those who are forgiven and are following the Lord, they say, will live in peace. Then we get this beautiful analogy, this beautiful parable. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. This is being written probably, and this is definitely being sung, as God's people are returning to the land. They've been in exile for years. Cousins have grown up not seeing each other, because the Babylonians scattered most of them from one end of their empire to the other. Think about the imagery. They've all been taking a long walk to return home. And in the minds of the psalmist, mercy and truth are on that road too. And when they meet, they give each other a hug. And so of righteousness and peace. And righteousness and peace greet each other with a kiss. Everyone is happy to be reunited. Everyone's traveling back from exile. And they all have the promise. The Lord will indeed grant prosperity and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him, and peace will be a pathway to his feet. Our gospel begins, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark's gospel does not start with the incarnation. We don't start like we do with Matthew or Luke, where we start by seeing he came upon a midnight clear or silent night. We don't start with all those familiar elements of the Christmas story, right? Mary and Joseph, the angels, the shepherds, the wise men, all of those hallmarks of the beginning of Jesus' story, right? The ones that every, every Christmas time we watch, Charlie Brown's Christmas, and smile as the kids put on the pageant and are reminded of the true reason for the season. Mark begins with the words of Isaiah. See, I'm sending my messenger ahead of you. And he'll prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. We start in Mark with the forerunner, the one who's coming to flatten and prepare the road for the Messiah. And how is he doing that? 
He's proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. John saw and was bringing forth what Isaiah and, and the psalmist said would happen. That mercy and truth met on the road. That the reality of the brokenness we all have inside of us, the reality of the brokenness of this whole world, was met by the mercy of God. That the righteousness of God has met his peace in this world. And they've not fought. They've embraced each other. And they've embraced each other so that we could be forgiven. It says the people were going out in large crowds to meet him, to confess their sins and be baptized. And notice John is dressed uniquely. Mark says, John was clothed with camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. Now, why is John dressed like that? Because in Malachi, God had told Malachi, See, I'll send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. And how did people know what Elijah looked like? How in the Mount of Transfiguration did the apostles know that it was Elijah and Moses that Jesus was talking to? You go back to the book of 1 Kings, King Ezekiah sends messengers to go out and look for Elijah. They don't know what Elijah looks like. They don't have a picture. There's no Facebook, no Instagram, no TikTok. But they have a name, Elijah. And everybody knows what Elijah dresses like. Elijah wears a garment of hair and a big leather belt. And now John is dressed like him and acting like him. But John knows he's not the Messiah. Along with preaching repentance, he tells everyone this. There is one who is more powerful than I is coming after me, and I'm not worthy to step down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptized you with water, but he'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Another promise, a reminder of what Isaiah and the other prophets wrote about hundreds and sometimes thousands of years before. God has promised the Messiah has come, and the word of our God stands forever. forever. But the Messiah is not here yet in our gospel story. Peter writes, Do not ignore this one fact, beloved, that, the day, that to the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like one day. In our Old Testament, in our Psalm, and even our Gospel, God's people are waiting on the Messiah to come and to fulfill the promises of God from the prophets. And here in Advent we remind ourselves that we're now waiting on his return again. Just like God's people waited for Messiah to come, we're waiting for his return. And Peter, or whoever was writing for Peter, reminds the believers, the Lord is not us. He's not like us. He's not one of the grass or the flowers in the field. The Lord is not slow about his promises. Some think of slowness, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. God can wait, not because he's forgotten, not because he's slow, not because we can't understand how time works in our own minds some days. He's waiting because he wants everyone to come to him. And he doesn't think on our time scale. Peter reminds us, the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and the heavens will pass away with a loud noise, and the elements dissolved with fire, and the earth and everything that is done on it will be disclosed. And that's the good news, that Christ is coming back. Not when we expect it, he's coming like a thief. And then the end will come with noise and with fire, with full disclosure of everything that's happened. There'll be no more secrets, no more redactions, no more need to discuss conspiracy theories and hushed tones. We'll know everything fully. Peter goes on to say, 
since all things are to be dissolved in this way, what sort of persons ought you to be in leading lives of holiness and godliness? Peter's reminding them that in the end, all the stuff that we strive for is going to fade away too. Our possessions, those cars, those houses, all of those things that we worry about every day, all of it will be gone. For like grass and like flowers, Jesus said our possessions are like wood, hay, and stubble. And Jesus and Peter remind us that it's all happening not to destroy, but to purify, so that the other great promise of God, a new heaven and a new earth, will be realized. Peter says, Beloved, while you are waiting for these things, strive to be found by him at peace, without spot or blemish, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. And while we wait, we heard last week we're supposed to be waiting joyfully, right? We're supposed to be waiting with hope, loving God and loving others. But while we're waiting, we're also supposed to be waiting with patience, in peace. Because God's patience is our salvation. And while we're living in peace, we're joyfully waiting for his return, loving each other. Amen. Amen.